0: Verse 7 Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came with him from Judea, Jerusalem, Udamea, and the regions around the Jordan, around Ty and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designated them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boges, which means son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, who came down from Jerusalem, said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, and he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother.
1: Thank you, Karina. There's um, a lot in there, Uh, some strange things, some controversial things uh, and some things that might shock us. We're going to work our way through each of them this morning and uh, hopefully shed some light on them. So please keep your Bibles handy so you can follow along as we do that together today. Uh, when I was at primary school, lunchtime meant soccer. That's, uh, that's what our school did. That's what everyone did, it seemed. I don't even like soccer, uh, but because that's what everyone did, that's what I did as well. Uh, anyone who came along would get involved, uh, up to 20th side. didn't matter. It was complete chaos. That was lunchtime. Now, I think I must have been a really slow eater. Um, I'm not anymore. Kids have changed that. Uh, But I was always late to the game. I missed the picking of the teams. I missed the start of the game even. And so by the time I finished my sandwiches and my fruit and my drink and turned up, uh, the game was well underway and i just have to come in and and just join in as best as I could. Uh, How do you do that? How do you join a game that's already going? Well, I wouldn't ask. Uh, who needs players? Which side needs players? That's the wrong question to ask. Instead what you ask is, who's winning? Who's winning? And then join that side because you know, it's nice to help, I get that. It's nice to, to, to join a team that needs you, but it's even nicer to win, even though there's nothing to winning. Uh, that's what we want, isn't it? We, we want to be on the winning side. We want to join the team that's going to meet with success. That's where we would like to be. That's even better than being able to help out. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in the passage that Karina just read for us, but here Jesus announces he's on the winning side. In fact, he is the winning side. But his side is a bit strange. His team is very odd. Uh, His opposition is very aggressive. Even his family, who should have been supporters, think he is nuts. It's crazy. Jesus says he's the winning side. Uh, If we fast forward to our day, most people, I imagine, if you were to take a poll in town, would say, Jesus is clearly not the winning side. (laughs) Jesus? Winning? Are you kidding? But today he declares to us he is. And he shows us how he is. But what's more, he also shows us how to join his side and what it actually means to be a part of his side and on his team. It is a different kind of team, but it's also a better kind of win. You want to be on this side. And we're going to see that together as we work through this passage. Uh, When we jump in at verse 7, this opening (coughs) section, that that Mark, this kind of summary section that that Mark gives us, it it paints what seems to be a really positive picture. It looks great, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus' ministry looks wonderful. Look at verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard what he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and all the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, "You are the Son of God." But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. It looks great, doesn't it? You know, you've got crowds, and you've got crowds from a huge area, and you know, Jesus' fame and his uh, his reach are, are, are growing. There's all sorts of things happening. It's it's it looks wonderful, doesn't it? But there's a bit of a negative note here as well, isn't there? Uh, yes, there's a big crowd or a great crowd in, in some uh, translations. Yes, there was a good reach. But there's also a sense in which this crowd is becoming a bit of an impediment to Jesus' ministry, isn't it? Uh, some of the words here are, are quite forceful words. They're, they're, they're pushing him, they're crowding him, they're, they're forcing him into this small boat to you know, kind of get enough space to actually reach them all. Um, they're, they're, they're all around him. It's, it's kind of chaotic. Now, uh, we, we see all these, these demons being exercised, uh, but Jesus has to keep silencing them because this crowd around him is, is kind of unruly. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. That could have serious consequences. There's a, there's a bit of tension in this scene. And so Jesus goes up a mountain. He leaves the sea. He goes up the mountain and... Uh, If you you know your Bible really well, you might know that's a bit of a clue. Uh, Something important is going to happen. Big things happen on mountains in the Bible, and so we see here as well. Look at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The crowd is an issue. The crowd has been pressing on Jesus, and so he chooses for himself his team, he, his twelve followers, his 12 apostles. Uh, clearly the initiative is his. You see Jesus uh, calls them. He's, he chooses those that he wants and they come to him. And he's the one who designates them. He's the one who appoints them to this role. And what a team. <laughs> what, a, what a crazy team he chooses. Uh, fishermen. A whole bunch of fishermen. Uh, he chooses Peter. Peter. Uh, he gives him the name Peter which means rock as we're going to see. It means kind of a wobbly rock. Uh, He chooses these Sons of Thunder, which you you kind of understand that they're kind of brash, they're loud and and, and, and abrasive. He chooses all these people we never hear from again. Uh, These no-names, their names are recorded, but we don't know anything about them. He chooses a guy who's a zealot, which at best is kind of like an extreme nationalist, Uh, at worst is potentially a terrorist. And he chooses a guy who's going to betray him. This is a strange team. This is a very odd group of people that Jesus has brought together here. Uh, You know, we have an AFL draft every year. It's all about spending hours choosing the very best players for a team. Jesus goes out and chooses the very, what looks like, the very worst. What a bunch. What are they here for? Well, it's there in verse 14, isn't it? That they might be with him and that he might send them to preach, that is, to proclaim authority, even even over the demons. Jesus hasn't come to go it alone. He hasn't come to do it all himself, even though that would be more efficient. These disciples seem to get in the way a lot. He's including them. He's he's using them and appointing them. He calls them apostles. The, the, The word apostle just literally means sent ones, these sent ones get to be near him, they get to know him and they're going to be sent from him to do his work. And in appointing these 12, what Jesus is doing here is, is setting a paradigm, is, is setting a framework for, what it, for, for how to understand what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He's, he's kind of setting the pattern here. This is what it looks like to follow me and to be a disciple of me, and what he's showing us is, it's all about relationship. Uh, we can understand the word disciple a bit like the word husband. You know, disciple has all these connotations. It sounds a bit confusing, a bit of a religious kind of word or a mysterious kind of thing. Just think of it a bit like the word husband. Um, I am a husband. It's an it's an accurate description of who I am. If I say to you, I am a husband immediately you understand certain things about me, don't you? Uh, You understand I'm in a relationship. I have a wife. That's, you know, husband is a relational thing. You don't call yourself that unless that relationship is true of you. So it says who I am. But it also says... What I do, or something of what I do, it, it speaks of my role. You know, the husband is a servant. The husband is a helper. The husband is a companion. The husband is the get out of bed late at night to check that strange noiser. The husband is the spider killer, the jar opener, and so on and so. Forth. It's a role, isn't it? You, and you, when you hear that word, when you hear that 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 label, husband, you understand all of those things. You understand relationship, and you understand. Role that, that we automatically associate those things. And so it is with the word disciple. When we hear disciple, think relationship and think role. Think relationship with Jesus, being near him, being with him, and think role given by Jesus, be sent by him, preach him or proclaim him or speak of him. Jesus is saying that's what it means to be a follower. That's what it means to be a part of my kingdom, to be a disciple. You're not a husband unless you're in a relationship. You're not a husband unless you play the part of a husband. And likewise, you're not a disciple unless you're in a relationship with Jesus. You're not a disciple unless you play the part of a disciple. Relationship and role. And Jesus calls his team in this. He calls those whom he wants. They're not the ones we'd expect. They're certainly not the ones that we would choose for him. They're not the ones who choose themselves. They're the ones he chooses. They are to be with him. They are going to be sent out from him. He says to me them, You're mine. You're going to be close to me. You're going to be sent by me. Yes, at the moment you are unworthy. Yes, you are utterly unable but not once I'm done with you. You know, there's this great link there, isn't there, between being with Jesus and being sent by Jesus. To to be near him is to be prepared, to be sent out from him. By being close to him, you're enabled, you're equipped, you're changed. As one writer puts it, not only does God in Christ take people as they are, he takes them in order to transform them into what he wants them to be. And that's what Jesus is about. They are with Him to be shaped by Him in order to be sent from Him. Uh, you might have noticed lately Kanye West has been in the in the news again. This time for a good reason. Um, if you've never heard his music, you're probably aware of who Kanye West is. Um, at least you're aware of his ego, which precedes him. Uh, he's declared he's the greatest artist who ever lived, uh, and in one of his albums, he declared he was most likely a god. But that's all changed. Uh, Kanye himself has changed a lot uh, and he has declared that he is now a Christian. And if you have seen his latest album which is titled Jesus is King and is a gospel album uh, you might know that. Listen to it. it it's great. Uh, and it seems really genuine. It's, it, it sounds like he gets it, like he really understands. Uh Here's how he describes Jesus' work, a line in one of his songs on the album. Great song, and this this line is in it. He says about Jesus' work, It's a mission, not a show. It's a mission, not a show. And isn't that what Jesus is saying here, right here in Mark? You know, the crowd wants a show. The crowd wants something amazing and dramatic and wonderful and, and, and impressive. But Jesus is saying, I've brought a mission And I'm calling my followers to not only be about me, but to be about it as well. Disciples, you are with me. You are on my mission. To be a follower of Jesus is to be near Jesus, to be about Jesus. And so we need to be examining ourselves in light of this. Is that true of you? Do you see yourself as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, as someone who is with Jesus and growing closer to Jesus and spending more time with Jesus and learning to love Jesus and delight in Jesus and know Jesus more? Is that how we look at ourselves? I mean, what would we say about a husband who never spends any time with their wife, uh, who doesn't know anything about their wife? We, we would clearly say that's not a good thing, isn't it? That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Well, what about a disciple who never spends time with Jesus? Who doesn't know him well, who isn't learning him more? That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. It's getting close to Jesus, saying no to the things that would take us away from him and saying yes to the things that bring us close to him. But it's also about helping others know him. The role of the disciple is to proclaim him, to proclaim the kingdom, to talk about Jesus and to share him. Are we on his work, on his mission? Uh, There's that that great line um, we've been doing the studies and connect, and the great line that runs through it. Are you helping others to take one step to the right? That is to either knowing Jesus or knowing Jesus better. That's the mission he's given us, isn't it? One step to a right, all of us and all those around us. That's our mission. Not just the church, not just mine, not just the elders, but our mission, every single disciple, every single follower, to be a person who helps others to know Jesus and know Jesus more. One step to closer to him how are we part of that because that's what it means to be a disciple knowing him helping others to know him okay but we're not jesus we have a distinct disadvantage here don't we i mean how can we be expected to do this this hard maybe even seemingly impossible task it, it's huge, isn't it? How can we do it? Uh, look at verse 20 and 21. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. See, his family didn't think his mission was possible. They thought he was nuts. They said, that, that something's flipped. He, we've got to go and take him in hand. Maybe, you know, come, the, the word is literally come and seize him. And take him away, it's gotten out of hand. They thought he was crazy. His opponents thought even worse. Look at verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So his family thought he was nuts. The religious leaders thought he was bad. They said, He's got to be possessed. Or even if not possessed, maybe worse, maybe he's using evil powers to achieve his own ends and to, to tap into this, this power of Satan. Maybe that's how he's doing all of this stuff. <laughs> Just think about that accusation for a moment. Isn't it wild? Isn't it outrageous? I mean, remember what we've seen over the last month. Remember what Mark has told us about Jesus to this point. What, what has Jesus done? Uh, Jesus has cast out evil spirits. Jesus has healed a sick woman. In fact, he healed a whole town's sick. He has uh, given a paralytic back the use of his body. He's healed leprosy. He's restored a man's shriveled hand. He's done all these amazing things. If we're to, to summarize them, what do we say? We say he's, he's fixed things that were broken. Uh, he's made evil things right. He has done what is indisputably good, amazing things. And yet these teachers accuse him of being an evil power. I mean, isn't that just crazy? He's doing good and they accuse him of evil. And that's Jesus' point. Look at verse 23. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. I mean, you can hear his frustration, can't you? You guys are crazy. Satan's not come to earth to fight against Satan. Evil's not come to destroy itself. Your point is nuts. It's ludicrous. And it's patently false. False. Instead of something terrible taking place, something truly wonderful is happening right in front of your eyes. Look at verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Jesus is saying something amazing has come and it is happening right in front of your eyes. Uh, Since mankind sinned, since we, we fell, Satan or the devil has become a power in this world, the, the prince of this world he's called. Uh, he's, he's portrayed as a great serpent, a great beast and one who roams the earth sowing evil and sowing brokenness and taking humanity captive to sin and to death. And 500 years before, over 500 years before, God had made a promise to his people. He'd said, I've, I see what's happening I'm going to do something about it. Here's here's what we read in Isaiah 49. God says, Can plunder be taken from warriors or captives rescued from the fierce? Well, obviously the answer is no. Who can do that? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. God says, I can do that. I will do that. I'm going to do that. You are trapped, you are held by this fierce, strong enemy, but not forever. I'm going to rescue, I'm going to contend, I'm going to save. And Jesus comes and says, Now, that time has come. I have bound the strong man, he is tied up, he is made powerless, and it is time to plunder. The word there is rob, but it's literally plunder his house. Go in and take what you want. It is all for grabs. You can do as you please. And when we grew up, we, we had a paddock behind our house. Our neighbours owned it, but we had a really good relationship with them, so we got to use it as kids all the time. Uh, and, and boys being boys, we, we did. You know, we made cubbies and we built fires and we played with bows and arrows that we made and, and all those sorts of boy stuff. It was great. But unfortunately, our neighbours were also sometimes raising calves for home kill. Um, not always, but, but often. Uh, and they had one in particular that we had a real issue with, a cow named Hippie, stupid name, uh, stupid cow as well. Hippie was terrifying. Uh, sure, he just wanted to play with us, but when a two or 300 kilo you know, calf wants to play with 10 and 12 year old kids, it's not really a good thing, it's scary. We would uh, go into the paddock wanting to do our own thing, wanting to build our cubby or play with our little bows and arrows or whatever and be terrified the whole time. You know, you're always looking over your shoulder. Is he here? Where is he? Oh, he's over there. That's okay. Oh, he's coming close. Has he seen us? For, forever. It was, it, was, it was nervy. And you, you're always ready to run and go and jump the fence just in case. And giving us a complex. It's terrifying. Unless that is, unless Hippie was tied up uh, sometimes he escaped. He was great at jumping fences, and sometimes he came and ate our tomatoes, which got him into trouble. And his confinement was being either tied up or put behind the electric fence. And then it was party time. Then the paddock was ours. You know, we can do whatever you want. You don't have to fear what's going to happen. You, you can just go as you please. It was it was freeing and wonderful. And what Jesus is saying here is, that's you. That's now. Because the strong man is tied up. He's secured. He's over there. Now is the time to do as we please, to do as you please. Now is the time to plunder his house, to take what you want to rescue and save the captives who have been held under his control and under his power. Now is that time. Jesus has done that for you. I don't, don't think you're sitting here because, you know, out of all the people in the world, you were clever enough to kind of realize this and come along under your own steam. No, you're here if you believe in Jesus because he's beaten the strong man for you, because he's tied him up and plundered his house and rescued you out of his captivity. He beat him, we saw in Mark chapter 1, he beat him by denying his power, by resisting his temptation and we're going to see as we keep working our way through this, he beats him by destroying his weapons of sin and death on the cross and in his resurrection. The strong man is beaten, the strong man is bound. One day the strong man will be destroyed but now he's on the leash because Jesus has won. And now his captives, held under the the power of sin and death, can be set free, can be rescued, can be forgiven and given life. I mean, what confidence this gives us, doesn't it? You know, remember, we're we're called to preach, we're called to speak of Jesus and, and proclaim him and his kingdom and forgiveness in his name. Imagine how hard that would be were the strong man not tied up. It would be... It would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? It would be be impossible. How can we overcome that? But he's not. Because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus has tied him up. Because he is bound. We don't go out in this world looking over our shoulder, uh, fearing always or wondering if anything could ever be, be used because of the power of him. Instead we go out boldly. We go out knowing he's tied up. His house is there to be plundered. Captives are there to be freed and we are called to be about that task. It's not hopeless. It's not aimless. Every day God is rescuing those who are lost, who are trapped in darkness and he's doing it through people who proclaim Jesus' name. Not just overseas on the mission field, there wonderfully, thankfully, but here as well in our towns, in our streets, in our houses. I mean, so often we, we forget this, don't we? So often we, we actually act as if the very opposite were true. You know, we act as if we're chained and as if he was free. And so we're timid and we're, we're fearful and we're doubtful. But as Paul wrote to his young protege Timothy, even as Paul himself was chained up in prison, he said, but God's word is not chained. God's word, the gospel of hope and life in Jesus, it's not chained, Satan is. God's word is the one that breaks chains, that rescues captives held in darkness, It liberates and brings hope, and it is ours to bring gladly and boldly, because there is hope for captives and we have a word that breaks them free, even as the strong man is bound. But to who? Who is this message for? Who is going to receive this word that we're bringing? Well, we see it and we see the point is and how Jesus is responded to. We see that in the last story here, uh, verse 28 onwards. I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Some are in, some are out. That's what Jesus is saying very bluntly. Some are in, some are out. And the difference, the key, is how you respond to Jesus, is how you respond to the King. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, what is this eternal or unforgivable sin? Uh, well, it's, it's clearly stated here as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's kind of hard to understand exactly what that looks like. And so verse 30 kind of gives us a bit of an insight uh, they were saying he has an evil spirit. That's, that's telling us a bit about what they've done here. See, that the scribes, these religious experts, were coming to Jesus and looking at everything that he's done, uh, looking at all the good that he's achieving and saying, that's not God's work. Uh, that's not God's power. In fact, that's not God at all. And therefore, it's evil. And what they were doing then is, denying the king, denying God's king. And therefore, as long as they persisted in denying him, in rejecting him, they could never receive him and they could never receive the forgiveness that he's come to bring. None of that could be theirs for as long as they were refused to acknowledge him. If you reject him, you don't receive him. And therefore... Don't receive the forgiveness that is in him, that is in him alone. Uh, Once I saw a TV show do a little experiment, they sent a guy into a city centre, I think it was Sydney, maybe Melbourne, busy CBD, lots of people rushing around and they gave him a job. Uh, His job was to give away $50 notes to people walking past. You would think that's an easy job. Uh, You can imagine how eager people would be to take that well, they weren't. I don't think he actually gave away any money. He would stand there, he would try and stop people and say, "I've got here, I'm, I'm giving this out." And people would walk straight past him because no one believed him. No one thought that could be true. I mean, it's, it, maybe he's crazy. It's got to be a scam. You know It's advertising or marketing or, or something, some sort of scheme. And so no one took it. Everyone doubted him. No one received from him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. To doubt him is to not receive him. And that means missing out on the forgiveness that he's offering, this great gift that he's come to bring and give freely. I mean, it is there. He says as much, doesn't he? He says it's, all, it's there for anyone who heeds him. Uh, he says all their sins, all their blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. How? How? How do you receive that? How do you become part of his kingdom, become on the inside and forgiven? Well, it's right there in the very last thing he says in the passage. He looks around and he says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The scribes rejected him and miss out. His family misunderstand him and to this point, so far, are excluded. Who receives? It's those who do God's will. What does that mean? Well, Jesus has actually been announcing it right since the start, hasn't he? It was the very first thing he says in the book of Mark. What's God's will? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And as we've seen, receive forgiveness in him. All your sins, all your blasphemies, all your rejection of the King, gone. And you, a follower. So often we look at this passage and we we hear about this unforgivable sin and it it terrifies us. Have I done it? Is this me? Could it possibly be me? But it's not meant to. I mean, we, we wonder so quickly, don't we, I'm I'm so quick to fail. I've done awful things. I keep doing the same awful things over and over again. Have I, at some point, done this? Could it be me? But if you've asked, if you're asking those questions, stop, because it is not you. I can tell you that. I can guarantee that. Because those who have done this are not wondering about it. Those who have rejected Jesus are not wondering if they have or not. They know it. They're not worrying about their sin. They're not worrying about their need of forgiveness. They're not worrying about their guilt. They're just thinking about turning their back on him. Instead, you can be assured, if you repent, if you believe, no matter what you've done, no matter how weak, no matter how inconsistent your faith might be, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. All your sins, all your blasphemies, all your rejection of the king, gone and dealt with. You are on the inside. You are part of his team. You are his brother or sister. You are his disciple or follower. You are his. Because you've acknowledged him and received him. It is hope for the faltering but it is also a challenge for the complacent. Because some of you here need to sit up and take note of the warning that Jesus is describing here. Maybe you've been in the church your whole life, maybe you were baptised and professed your faith, maybe you've served in all sorts of capacities and places, and yet the whole time been distant from Jesus, called his name, spoken about him and yet never given him your repentance and your belief. You've done stuff for him but never related to him. Instead, you've resisted his change. You've made excuses about some of the harder claims that he makes. You've continued on unrepentant, harbouring your sin. Yes, maybe looking very good on the outward, fitting in, but inwardly proud and selfish and hard-hearted. You need to heed his warning. The only way to receive from him is to acknowledge him as king and to acknowledge your need for him and repent and believe. It's not yet too late. A day will come when it is and when the sin is proved unforgivable but today is not yet. Don't delay. Repent even now and throw yourself on his mercy. Admit your foolishness and ask for the forgiveness that he freely offers to you. Call him Lord and believe and you'll be his. Forgiven completely, part of him forever. For him and with him for all time to come. Here's how Kanye puts the good news. I'm not going to rap it because like, I'm white and middle-aged, so that's not going to happen, but I'll read it. Here's how he puts it in one of his songs. King of kings, Lord of lords, all the things he has in store, from the rich to the poor, all are welcome through the door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying. Jesus saved me, now I'm sane. Jesus brought a revolution. All the captives are forgiven. Time to break down all the prisons. Every man, every woman, there is freedom from addiction. Jesus, you have my soul. Sunday service on a roll. All my idols, let them go. All my demons, let them know. This is a mission, not a show. This is my eternal soul. This, my kids. This, the crib. This, my wife. This, my life. This, my God given right. Thank you, Jesus won the fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that Jesus has overcome the strong man, that he has beaten him, he has tied him up, that his house could be plundered even today. Father, we thank you that he has rescued us from captivity, that he has saved us from darkness and destruction. We give you thanks that he offers forgiveness freely to us simply by doing your will and repenting and believing Father it is an awesome privilege to be rescued to be forgiven, to be part of your family to be called a disciple and follower of you Father help us to live that out gladly and eagerly each day uh, delighting in knowing Jesus better and growing closer to him and helping others know him better as well, sharing him, speaking him to those around us Father, may we be bold in this, knowing the victory that he's won on our behalf. May we be glad in this, knowing we speak of joy and freedom and hope and forgiveness in you and in you alone. In Jesus, our Saviour's name we pray. Amen.